Hello, friends and listeners of the LeaderCast podcast. This is Mo, the producer, jumping on really quick before this episode starts to let you know that we are going to be wrapping up season one of the podcast. The final episode in season one will be coming out on April 23rd. We are going to be coming back with an even better season two later this year. Stay tuned on our socials for updates as we know more, and thank you for being an avid listener. In the time frame from when I launched my company to now, I adopted three girls, uh, ages 3, 11, and 14 at the time, um, after meeting their mother on the side of a Baltimore City street. Welcome to the LeaderCast podcast, a weekly deep dive into the stories that transformed our guests into leaders worth following. I'm your host, Joe Boyd. If you've been enjoying the podcast, thank you so much for being a listener. One simple thing you can do to help us out is give a review wherever you listen. Today's guest is Nicole Walter. She is the author of the brand new book, Nothing is Missing, A Memoir in Living Boldly. And that is exactly what she's done, as you will hear by her story. You'll find out what game show she went on to pay for college and also the one bit of advice she gives to every leader. Nicole Walters, welcome to the LeaderCast podcast. I'm super excited to talk to you today. Oh, thanks for having me, John. I'm excited to be here. You are uh, the author of a new book that's coming out. So we'll get to talk about that. It's called uh, Nothing is Missing, a Memoir and Living Boldly. Sounds like something we all need. Oh, yes. I mean, in these days and times, you've got to be bold if you're going to get ahead. Uh, Your story is awesome. I just kind of, I want to jump right into it if we can. Uh, And um, I I would love if you could just uh, tell me kind of how it started as a kid. Um, what are your, some of your earliest memories? How did you grow up? Uh, and we'll, we'll kind of launch into it like that. Sure. So, you know, I'd love to say that I am the classic American dream. Both of my parents are African immigrants from Ghana, West Africa, and uh, they did all the right things and all the right ways to get here. And, you know, I remember growing up in Washington, DC and, being told that the reason they came here is not for the uh, 2.5 kids and the white picket fence and the house, but they came here for for options, for choices, for opportunities. And that was how I was raised from the beginning, that it wasn't just about pursuing money because money was just a tool. It was about pursuing options so that that way we can live a life with more flexibility. And um, and I'm grateful to say that that's what's happened, but a lot happened in between then and now. Sure. Did you have siblings? I did. So I have a younger sister who is seven years younger than me. So um, as the eldest child, which I think a lot of leaders can relate to, you know, I've been leading from a very young age. (laughs) So I know I read a little bit there, obviously, uh, lots of stories similar to your parents. Uh, Mm -hmm. It doesn't come easy at first. Uh, Some of your early memories are are some struggles, correct? Yes, absolutely. So, I mean, my parents obviously couldn't afford childcare. And my dad was a cab driver in DC and my mother a secretary at a boating insurance company. So most of my earliest memories around uh, being told that my job in this world is to be an example and to lead and to grow and to build were riding around in the passenger seat of his car and listening to lobbyists and politicians and lawyers getting in and out of the back and telling me their stories. And, you know, my dad pointing to the buildings and saying, you know, what's different about America is that, you know, you can clean one of those buildings or you could have a name on the side of one of them. And it's all about how you want to show up in this world and how you want to serve people every day. Wow. I love stories that uh, I've produced a few movies 
back in the day. And sometimes the scenes just pop out in my head, but like the little, <laughs> sure. a little girl in the cab next to her dad mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. some senator getting in the cab or something. It's just, Oh, kind of I mean, we've had Marlon. Oh, we've yeah. had Marlon Brando pop in and out of the car. I mean, like crazy things like that would happen. And of course, being younger, I had no idea, right. you know, <laughs> who's coming in and out, but you know, here I am precocious child in the front seat. And I was asking people, what do you do in there? And why are you guys always wearing suits? And aren't those hot, and, you know, <laughs> things like that. But, you know, as you'll read in my memoir, you know, it was those questions and being bold about asking questions that really led me to where I am. If there's anything that I'm fearless about, it's asking, how did you get there and how can I get there too? And um, if it wasn't for that, I don't think I'd be where I am today. That curiosity is and obviously leaders are typically curious uh, in, the, in mm-hmm. their own ways, but not always extroverted. Um, mm-hmm. Was that instilled in you or is it just like you were just born curious and extroverted? Uh, the question, asking the questions and being Asking the questions, honestly, you know, I think that a lot of people who have had to make it on their own, especially as entrepreneurs or even climbing the corporate ladder, you know, because I did that journey first, um, we find ourselves having to do that either out of nurture or by nature. And uh, when you grow up in intense poverty, it's it's absolutely nurture because you need to, you know, I wasn't going to eat if I didn't open my mouth, you know? So uh, knowing that I wanted to change my circumstance and frankly, my parents weren't equipped to show me how in America, I had to ask the people around me for mentorship, for guidance, for advice, and sometimes for you to point in the right direction and say, go do that. Yeah. <laughs> so it was, it helped. Were you a good student? Yes and no. So I was a great student when it came to uh, actually learning and applying and being practical. I was a terrible student when it came to following um, general structure <laughs> and uh, not being so inquisitive and, you know, sitting in my seats. I, I always was looking for an innovative solution and that rarely kept me in my chair. <laughs> yeah. You, you're just itching to grow up and go do something probably. the uh, That's right. That's uh, right. <laughs> What, um, when you thought about, you know, as you're getting older, teenager or whatever, and you start to think about career or pathway, did you have specific ambitions? Around oh, anything? did I? Yeah. Well, so, uh, if you're familiar with the immigrant story, you know, typically they want you to do better than they did, but usually that's limited to, you know, my daughter, you will be a doctor, you will be a lawyer, or you will be an engineer, <laughs> you know, cause America gives you choices, <laughs> you know, and you just I listed. Mean, that was, yeah, choices. you pretty much just listed all my second generation immigrant friends right there. That's right. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Or, it or was, they started that way. Yeah, that's right. I had choices, but it was one of those three. Right. You know, so. Uh, what I ended up doing because none of those were really my calling was I just went to corporate America. I, um, went into finance and I got licensed and I was working for T. Rowe Price, um, Morgan Stanley, and I did a stint at Wells Fargo Mortgage Backed Securities. Okay. So I did that for a while. Uh, then the market tanked, <laughs> which was beautiful. And I shifted into insurance, uh, global international insurance and business development. And it worked really well for me. Was that like, so that feels like you're pretty good at math growing up. Uh, oh, no, terrible no, at no. math. <laughs> what I can do is talk, though. <laughs> so so yeah, you, you, have a, you have underwriting to your numbers, you know, yeah, and then you right. go and you sell. <laughs> um, the, uh, was, there, was there something about the way that profession fit with your personality that was it lacking something? Were you wanting something else? 
That's a great question. And I talk about that in the book. I actually had a uh, situation that occurred where working in international insurance, what's different but from American insurance is that most policies are 100% coverage because they are in alignment with international law, which is we pay for everything. So, you know, most of the situations I went into it was, hey, let's approve this or let's write this for the client or this is what it looks like. But I had a couple situations where I felt like, I wanted to help in a certain way, but that was outside of the bounds of what was typically expected. And that was always a struggle for me. And I think a lot of people in corporate can relate to that. I'd like to think we've evolved a little bit beyond that, but the phrasing, this is how we've always done it, just was so wildly unsettling for me when I knew there was a better way and um, and a better way for everyone, more efficient, uh, generating more revenue, happier employees and happier clients, but it was out of the norm. And I said, this just is not going to work. I was, I was also 28 and thought I could take on the world. Sure. You know, I, I checked pretty quickly when I became an entrepreneur, <laughs> but, but, you know, I, I quit my job and I did it live online in front of 10,000 people. And I launched my own consulting firm. Okay. So I, I need context there. How do you quit your oh, job? Of course, and, uh, of course, of course. What does that mean you quit of your course. job in front of 10,000 people? Yeah. So what that means is, uh, you know, when I realized that the end was coming close in my corporate career and that I needed to basically build a place for me to go, I promised myself I would give myself six months of working for myself. You know, sign number one that I'm a naive entrepreneur. It takes more than six months to be successful. But, you know, I told myself I'll give myself six months and if it doesn't work, I'll go back to corporate. So I started taking on private clients on the side. I was working 80 to 100 hour work weeks uh, for about two months to generate revenue. So once I got to about 11K a month in revenue on the side outside of my nine to five, I knew I was ready to quit. In the meantime, I was documenting this online and people were tuning in like, is this girl really going to do it? And then the day came where I quit my job. I went live. Um, I did it very classily, very appropriate because, you know, in six months, if it didn't work, I had to go back. (laughs) So (laughs) I quit my job and I did that uh, to people online real time saying partly this is insane. This girl is crazy. And people saying, this is my dream. I wish I was her. And um, I did that. I quit. I committed myself fully to my purpose. And within eight months or so, I'd made around $750,000 in my business um, with next to no overhead. And um, within a little over a year after that, I ran a million dollar business. That's that's awesome. I know that. Congratulations. Uh, thank you. Thank you. I know you. how hard that is. Um, yes, very. What just because I don't know what was the actual work you were doing? Early? Sure. So the work that I was doing was actually a void that you know, if anyone listening works in consulting, you know, the the need is still there. But there's a lot of people out there fancying themselves as business strategists and consultants, but they may not have the um, accolades or the experience to do it because they've never done it in a corporate capacity. Gotcha. Uh, having worked in corporate and built and scaled businesses from two million to two hundred, I actually knew the ins and outs everywhere from you know, finances to product development to the resources you need in order to make sure your business sustains and doesn't just earn revenue launch style. So I just started offering those services to anyone from the dry cleaner down the street to, you know, the social media influencer who realized that it's not just likes and clicks, you know, to the um, New York Times bestselling author who realized they wanted to make sure they had diversified income streams. I help people build a business and I help them build it right. Cool. Great. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to ask a question. I've never asked anyone. Okay, uh, sure. Tell me about Will of Fortune. Oh, 
<laughs> okay, fair enough, because it is harder to get on Wheel of Fortune than it is to get into Harvard. So I can understand that I may be the only person you ever had on the show. So uh, this actually happened. I tell this story back in, uh, in my memoir, um, and it just gives some insight to my thinking. And I think thinking that a lot of entrepreneurs and leaders can relate to uh, finding an unorthodox answer to a common problem. And for me, that was money. I was in college. I had parents who could not support me and I knew I needed money and I needed it not fast per se, but I needed it in a way where again, the overhead was low. I needed great margins. So, and I had zero startup cash. So I said, okay, well I'll go on a game show. (laughs) That was again, welcome to, you know, 19 at that age. So I went ahead and I applied uh, to be on the show and uh, you'll, you can read the story in the book, but I got on and, um, and when you hear my formula for how I made it happen, you'll realize it's actually easier than you think. And when I ended up on the show, I came in second to Wendy from Wisconsin, bless her heart. (laughs) And, um, and I ended up winning a trip to Iceland and about $12,000. So it wasn't a, a bad scene at all. Yeah. It's pretty crazy when you think about it. Did you go to Iceland or did you? Oh, did I? I mean, I went to Iceland. It was funny because I thought they said Ireland on the show and they had to tell me in the break it was Iceland. And I was like, oh, wow. Okay. So it was a great time. That's so awesome. That's fun. Mm -hmm. Uh, But uh, yeah, obviously a window into your, your soul and your, your kind of work (laughs) ethic. Um, Are are you still doing the consulting kind of work you talked about or have you transitioned to do? Yeah, I do. So, I mean, one of the beauties of consulting that I always tell literally anyone, if you're still working in corporate or if you're someone who's, you know, trying to figure out how to add streams of income, consulting always works if you're qualified to do it. And if you know what you're doing, um, and if you stick to your field of proper expertise, not just kind of what you hope and wish you could do. So, uh, yeah, I still take on clients privately. I recently opened up my um, office in Beverly Hills and I take on clients out here, uh, primarily in the entertainment field. Uh, but I still have a few corporate clients. Great. Let's talk about your book. When, uh, when does how when and how does one decide it's time to write a memoir? How does that work? So um kicking and screaming, pulling teeth. I mean, honestly, uh in the time frame from when I launched my company to now, I adopted three girls, uh, ages three, eleven, and fourteen at the time, um, after meeting their mother on the side of a Baltimore City street. Uh so, you know, it was cold, it was October. I pulled over, I talked to this woman, and after meeting her, um, she told me in a month later she was going to jail. And so I uh knew these girls from kind of bringing them groceries and supporting them, but I also knew that I needed to help make sure they didn't go into the system. So I took custody of all three of them. And I was 28 at the time. So what happened was, uh, you know, once that happened, it changed everything about the trajectory of my life. I knew I had to scale my business because I had two kids that were going into college, two proms, potty training, kindergarten, and I had all of that within the span of the next five to eight years. So uh, I scaled the business. I grew the business. It, it hit multi-million and um, everything seemed great. And then my middle daughter at the time ended up getting stage four cancer. So, uh, and this is all leading to why I wrote the memoir. A lot has happened in the past eight years and uh, she's fine now, thank God. But she, um, 
you know, it was quite the unexpected journey, you know, during that time process. And in between all that, we filmed a, a TV show for a major major cable network. Uh, I had over 200 million viral views and sharing our family's story. And then at the end of it all, meaning the pandemic, which is kind of the marker, right? We made it through cancer. We've had this TV show. I have this business that's humming. I've got multiple commas in the bank. All is well. I get a divorce. And uh, which is not an uncommon post pandemic story, I think, nowadays. Right. Uh, But, you know, after 12 years of marriage, uh, it was just very clear that we were headed in different directions. And um, and it was wildly unexpected for me. So I packed up everything, my babies and three suitcases and moved to Los Angeles. And when I got here. My uh, literary agent was expecting a business book because that alone is a story in and of itself. Right. But who writes the business book without talking about, you know, how I kept things going behind the scenes? And so what people are reading now woven in with business things is the real story. It's the color behind the black and white. It's the how do you pick up and have a fresh start over and over and over again, which is what life keeps calling us to do. Hmm whether it's in your career or in your marriage or as an empty nester or as a new business owner or entrepreneur, how do you keep going when you get cancer, you get adoption, you have TV shows, you've got everything, you know, divorce. And, um, and then I also had health concerns, you know, at the time. So that's what I decided to write about because Honestly, I can give you the strategy, the tools, the bullet points all day. But if you don't understand the motivation, discipline, and reason to do it, it'll never get done. So I wrote the truth. Yeah, that's I, I can't wait to read it. I think uh, <laughs> uh, behind the curtain, we usually record these about six weeks before they come out. So this people should be seeing and hearing this right about – I think your book comes out in October, correct? October 10th. It'll okay. be on the shelves everywhere. So it should time out just about perfectly for people to go get it. Yes. Uh, yes. Maybe if I sweet talk you, I'll get one before we'll see in advance uh, yeah i could definitely <laughs> send you a I i'll even sign it and i won't personalize it so you can sell it on ebay someday oh, Joe. Go. i'm looking out for you i needed a new <laughs> i need a retirement plan so that's perfect thank you that's uh, right that's right <laughs> no i actually am very excited uh to read it it's obviously a powerful story and i have a vacation coming up then so it'll be great um oh that's wonderful thank you yeah uh i, I I think uh, this has been awesome. I would like to just, you said you could do uh, strategy and bullet points all day long. So since it's a leadership podcast and I got like five minutes left, yeah. we better get some of those, right? Uh, let's, let's let some folks yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, who are going to lead. When, when you think in general of leading a team uh, and being, uh, being our phrase that we've used forever here is that we want to uh, fill the world with leaders worth following. So when you hear that yes. phrase that this is a leader worth following, I'm curious what what comes to your mind? What do leaders worth following have in them? Oh, so the number one thing that I would both encourage leaders to, to gain and also to foster because it will transform your team is learning how to grant yourself some grace. Hmm. If you can give yourself forgiveness when you make mistakes, when you are learning, when you have errors and you can treat yourself with that kindness, your team will do it also. And while it feels like, oh my goodness, I don't want to have a soft hand when I'm doing a big mission, what actually happens is that people learn how to be more flexible. They learn how to stay in the game. 
They learn how to communicate better and be more honest as they're facing struggles, which ultimately helps you and your business grow. So if there's anything I would tell a leader out there, it's to grant yourself some grace. Love it. And that seems like a perfect way to end. Uh, thank you so much for your time. Uh, it, it really, uh, really means the world to me, uh, Nicole, that you'd be a part of this. So, um, if folks, uh, I mean, it, it's the modern world, you just use Google, but we got to ask if people want your book, what's the mysterious way people can find it? How, how do people get your book so they can read it? Right. Well, at this time, it hopefully will be on shelves everywhere if it's after October 10th. But if not, you can find me all over the internet at Nicole Walters. And of course, you can listen to the Nicole Walters podcast. Awesome. Uh, thank you so much, Nicole, for being a part. Uh, God bless you. We're so uh, happy that you're a part of this. Thank you for having me, Joe. Thank you. In today's ultra-competitive job market, Top-tier talent are leaving companies in search of top-tier professional development. Now more than ever, you must invest in your emerging leaders. LeaderCast 365 is a world-class professional development system featuring access to three annual LeaderCast events, a post-event journey to activate the inspiration and insights gained from LeaderCast events, plug-and-play lunch-and-learn programs with group discussion questions, concise video courses to address weaknesses and build upon strengths, and our library of more than 1,200 short-form videos from a slate of industry experts organized into 16 key professional development categories. Invest in your all-star employees and attract new top talent to join them with LeaderCast 365.